Today we're concluding our, our series on, on the Hall of Faith from Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, if, you've never, if you've never been involved in a competitive race before, uh, maybe, maybe not like a 50-yard dash or uh, a little bit more uh, a, a, a race of some distance where you have to pay in order to get in, um, I would highly encourage, highly, highly encourage you, even if you're not the athletic type, I would strongly encourage you to sign up for a race like that, to add it to your bucket list if for no other reason than for illustrative and for inspirational purposes, because there's so many things that you can learn about life and learn about Christianity and learn about faith by running in a race. I'm not much for long-distance running, but in my lifetime, at least down here, I've run in three uh, what I consider to be really long-distance races. One, my first one was a two-mile race in Winter Park, which was utterly tragic and a, a, a train wreck for me. Um, but a couple other races I've run were uh, 5K, 5K, 5 kilometer, about 3.1 miles. Um, I ran in these races, or I walked in these races, and I learned so many things about life, about endurance, about perseverance, about encouragement, about doing things together with other people about pressing on towards a goal. If you've never been in a race before, uh, I think it would be a great thing for us to be part of because when you do, you begin to understand why the biblical writers so often describe life as a race from the letter to the Corinthians to the Philippians to uh, Galatians to Hebrews to 2 Timothy, all of these passages and probably other, uh, other places also describe life as being a race. So many different lessons to be learned. I remember running these races and, and they, they talk about a, this, this wall that you hit where you feel like you can't go on any longer. That came for me after about 15 seconds, but still. Um, you hit that wall and there's something that causes you to move forward. Something about the fact that you run with other people. Something about the fact that people are shouting encouragement and passing out water and, and passing out help and all kinds of things that help you to get to the end. And knowing that when you get to the end, there will be a time to rest and there will be a prize and there will be a reward waiting for you when you get to the end of it all. There's something so powerful and so inspiring and so instructive about being part of a race. And so as we end this chapter on, well, faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it actually blends into and moves into Hebrews chapter 12. I want to talk about the race of faith and what the hall of faith does for us and what it says to us as we come to this particular point in the journey, in this particular point in our, in our look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to talk about what this means for us. This is God's Word. After 11 chapters and 40 verses, thousands of years of history, talking about the Hall of Faith, chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down 
at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is God's word. <laughs> a few uh, weeks ago, Pastor Daniel and I were meeting in my office, and uh, I think it was our, our administrator, somebody brought in a lady who came in a suit. She never seen this lady before, but she came in. She was nicely dressed in a business suit. She came in, and uh, in my office, there are um, artifacts, souvenirs, different things from all around, countries around the world, things from China, things from Ecuador, things from the Dominican Republic, things from the Middle East, places where our missionaries and our people have been. And in one corner of my office, there is a flag from a country in the Middle East that one of our missionaries had given, and on it was an Arabic verse that talks about how all of the nations will come to worship and bow before Jesus. And as she was talking to us, she said, I am an Egyptian, uh, an Egyptian Christian, uh, part of the Coptic church. And they're looking for a place that they can meet to have a prayer meeting. And as she saw the flag that was in my office, she became very anxious and very uneasy. She became fearful, and she said to me, that is not a good flag. That's not a good flag. These are bad people. And so I began to tell her that we have missionaries in this country, and I showed her the verse. And, and, and after she read the verse, her heart became uh, at ease. And she said, okay, I understand now the prayer is that this nation and these countries would come to know Jesus. But she said, you have to pardon me. You have to, and she apologized. And she said, I'm sorry for being offensive, but our people, the Egyptian Christians, the Coptic church has been through a lot in the past couple years. 21 of our people uh, were martyred in Libya. We had many other people. Uh, just recently, the Passion Week killings that were perpetrated by terrorists against the church in, in Egypt and constantly living under threat of persecution. And the fear of persecution that rose up within the hearts of the Coptic church and in that woman was presented before us and she was saying, this is what we have to live with these days. You have to excuse and pardon and understand if we're a little bit fearful in these days of flags such as that. And as I was hearing that, I think it gave me a little bit of a glimpse into what the people who are hearing and receiving the letter to the Hebrews were feeling at that time. The people who were receiving this letter were Christians living in the Roman Empire. Two massive persecutions that came through the Roman Empire, that was, uh, one of these was a context for, uh, which, in which the people who were receiving this letter were living. The people of God had started out very well as they were running the race of faith. They were doing well. They were living for God. They are passionate. They were on fire for Him. But as persecution began to take root and their property began to get stolen and their, family member, their families were ripped apart, as houses were burned and things were bringing brought against them, charges, many of them were imprisoned, the question in their minds was, do we need to continue living this life of faith when the stakes are so high? When this is happening to our lives, when this is happening to our families, when this is happening to our homes, is it worth it still to continue to follow Jesus when the cost is this high? And as the writer of Hebrews is writing, chapter after chapter after chapter, he's writing to say, yes, Jesus Christ is worth it. He's worth it for us to 
give everything that we are, even if it means that we lay down our lives, Jesus is worth it. And in chapter 11, what he does is he gives illustration after illustration of heroes of the faith who have considered Jesus to be worth it and found him not to be lacking, even when they did not find it, what, uh, what was promised on earth, they realize that everything that they need is found in Christ and will one day be given to them when they get to the other side in heaven. And so they get to chapter 12, and he's encouraging them with one simple word. If there's one word that tells them, encourages them, that challenges them, if there's one word that summarizes our sermon today, it's the word run. Run. Don't wander off the path. Run. Don't coast. Run. Don't wonder if it's worth it. Run. Don't meander along the side of the road. Run. If there's one word, he says, run. And he says, if, if you want to add a couple other words, he would say, run the race. And embedded into this very definition and this very command is the sense that the race will not be easy. The word for race is the Greek word agona, which, from which we get this word agony. He's saying there's an agonizing, it's not this like five-second, five-meter sprint. It's a marathon that at times seems agonizing, at times seems like you want to give up, at times seems like it's too much for me to go on. But he says if there's one word of advice, one word of counsel, one word of command, it's this word, run. And it's with this that he closes the hall of faith. He says, my brothers and sisters, one thing in light of all that you have heard, run. Now, you know, to hear that in the face of persecution and difficulty is not an easy thing. And so what a good coach does, not only he tells us what we need to do, he gives us three reasons why, three motivations, three encouragements, three words of coaching that will help us to be able to run. I want to bring these three thoughts out um, this morning. Here's the first thing. Remember that you're not running the race alone. Sometimes the hardest thing when you're going through difficult times is when you realize, or at least when you think, that you're all alone. I'm the only one who understands what I'm going through. Nobody else understands. Nobody knows what it's like to live with a husband who is cold and does not care. Nobody else knows what it's like to try and live this life of faith when there's all of this hardship that attacks me when I go to school. Nobody knows what it's like to stand up for Jesus when people make fun of me and they tell me that if I stand up for Christ in my workplace that I'm not going to get a promotion at the end of my review period. We oftentimes think nobody else knows and what the writer of Hebrews is saying is no, 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 no. Remember, one thing, the first thing you need to remember is that you're not running this race alone. It says in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run. He's saying there's a great cloud of witnesses. And in the context, the Hebrew believers would have clearly understood that in these races that would oftentimes end in the center of the arena where people who've either finished the race or people who've come to watch the race would be dressed in robes of white and they would be cheering and they would be applauding, especially in the Olympic Games. They would be cheering and they would be applauding and as they run the race in the finish line, as they run that last lap, as they looked amongst the crowd, it would seem like there was this massive cloud of people who are cheering them on, encouraging the weary, encouraging the faithful, telling them to press on and to persevere. And this is what he has in mind when he says, as you run this race, there's a great cloud of witnesses. You're not running this race alone, my friends. You're not. 
Sometimes it might seem like that. But he says, there is a cloud who by faith live and are running in the same direction. Some have already gone on before. Who is this great cloud? What is this great cloud? It's what we've been talking about for the past 11 weeks. These men and women, these heroes of the faith, who have finished the race, who now sit amongst the spectators, who sit amongst the crowd, and they are cheering you on. And their message is all the same. Run. Keep on going. Keep on going because it's worth it. The martyred saints who say, I know what you go through. I know what what you're feeling. I know the pain and the persecution that you go through. They say, we've made it to the end, and trust me, it's worth it. Keep on going. Those who by faith lived, and their faith brought them tragedy, say, keep on going. By faith, those who lived in triumph are saying the same thing. It's worth it. You go all the way back from the beginning of time. There's people like Abel. Their message Though it's unique in certain ways, it's universal in other ways, but the unique message of these saints encouraging us to go on. You hear Abel when you wonder, is it worth it to give my best worship to God? Abel says, it's worth it to give your best, to give the first fruit, the very best that you have. Give it to God because he's worthy. Those mornings when you wake up and you don't want to live for Jesus, Enoch says, it's worth it to walk with God day by day. Day by day, there's nothing sweeter in life. It might not feel like it's worth it. It might not feel like it's making a difference, but it's worth it to walk with him. Noah rises up amongst that crowd. When you say, man, God, what you're calling me to do seems crazy. He says, sometimes by faith, the world will tell you that you're crazy, but it's always worth it. Abraham rises up amongst the crowd, and he says, God will always be faithful. He will always be faithful. Even if it takes years for that promise to come to pass, God will be faithful. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on running. Sarah rises up, and she says, nothing is impossible with God. If he can make an 80-year-old woman pregnant with a child of destiny, then he can do anything in your life. Don't give up. Keep on going. There's people like Jacob and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph who say, rise up, people of God. Run the race because the next generation needs you to run for Jesus. It's worth it because he's worth it, because they're worth it. Keep on going. Run that race. Moses rises up and he says, every time you have a choice between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven, a hundred times out of a hundred times, you choose treasure in heaven because Jesus is worth it. All of these people rise up and form this cloud, this crescendo of faith that says, it's always worth it to run for Jesus. And they're part of this cloud of faith. They're part of this crowd that encourages you. But it's not just people in the past. You've got people here on earth who are running with you as well. You've got former missionaries, former pastors, people that you've met. You think about people like that. You think about missionaries that you've met people that you met on the mission field in those times when you were first so fired up for the Lord God, compelled you to go to the nations, and there you met this missionary who didn't have much, but he gave everything, she gave everything to Jesus, lived on meager, uh, meager uh, allowances, but her faith was so on fire, and something about her caused you to say, man, I want to I love Jesus more, and she's in that cloud, and she says, run the race. People like Gonzalo Kimbuco in Ecuador, who've given up everything, given up jobs and riches, 
got rejected by a woman that he was set to marry because he went to follow the call of God into the Amazon to bring the kingdom of God there. He says it's worth it to run the race for Jesus. Reverend Choi and Pastor Choi in the Dominican Republic, the joy on their faces when they see you when you go down to DR. They say, keep on going. It's worth it to run the race for Jesus. you got people all around. You are not alone. People who rise up and form this chorus of faith that says, run, run like there's no tomorrow. Run in such a way as to win the prize. Run with perseverance. The race marked out for you. You're not alone. You're not alone. There's countless men and women that God is rising up, raising up, putting around you to encourage you to run. This week, I, uh, many of us, about 65 of us, spent time at, um, in North Carolina, a synod retreat, 200-some young people. And over the course of a few days, talking to people, hearing stories of just sadness, brokenness, like deep sexual brokenness. Family brokenness, pains, choices that have been made, choices that have been made from other people that have hurt them, bullying. Sometimes I wonder, man, how much is too much? How much do our people have to go through in this broken world? And then I see uh, these people just worshiping God with just complete abandon. The very people that I talked to who said, man, my life is so broken, singing about the joy of Christ in them. Say, these people are the cloud that rises up. These are the people that I need to hear from. These are the people that form this cloud for us that are saying, keep on running. (laughs) One night I, I had this, you know, we had this time where pastors are praying for people and uh, one by one, each of our graduating seniors came up and I got to pray with, with each of them, and it was such a sweet, sweet moment for me. As they're talking about their, their blessings and talking about their struggles and talking about the things that they want as they move forward in the future. And my heart was just filled with such a sense of pride, if I could say in a good way, of pride in these, these young men and women as they're part of this cloud of faith, and they're the ones who their lives are challenging me to live for Christ, to don't give up, to keep on running, to keep on going. There was uh, someone, someone said to me at this retreat, hey, you know, you got this, you know, this, this adult congregation and you got all these people and when are you going to stop coming to these retreats and stop doing youth ministry? And in my heart of hearts, I'm like, I will never stop being a pastor, a youth pastor. I, that might not be my title, but there's always going to be in me this desire to want to see that generation come behind us, rise up in faith, because they inform my faith as much as I do them. We're all part of a cloud, and did you know not only are you surrounded by a cloud, but you are part of the cloud of faith, that other people depend on you and other people need you to run this race of faith. You're not alone as you run. You're not alone. That's the first thing, the first encouragement that he gives as we run. Second thing, get rid of anything that doesn't help you. Get rid of anything that doesn't help you. Verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Saying whatever it is that weighs you down, 
Okay, whatever it is that weighs you down from running the race, get rid of it in order that you might run. Isn't that why swimmers and runners shave their legs and shave their underarms and oftentimes, sometimes shave their heads and put on, at least the swimmers put on caps to make them as aerodynamic as possible, no drag, so that nothing will hinder them from finishing the race to the best of their ability. Here he talks about two things, the everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. There are weights and there are sins, both of which can hinder us from running the race. Everything that hinders means whatever it is that might weigh you down. This uh, past week, a few of us were eating, uh, eating breakfast and um, our guest speaker, Bobby, had, a, uh, had this, uh, this kind of like Kickstarter invention on his backpack. It was a solar-powered phone charger. And so uh, if you're outside, it, 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 the, the, solar, uh, the sun powers that thing up and you can use that to charge your phone when you don't have an outlet. So uh, one of our brothers, Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Cook, is an outdoorsman. He likes hiking and camping. And he said, you know, that would be really good if I were to go hiking, right, camping. But then he said, the only problem is if I had that, it would cause me to take my cell phone and other things, and when I go hiking, I want to be as light as possible. If that's how it is for someone on a leisure trip up a mountain, right, how much more so if we're running the race of faith? He's not talking about, see, there are good things, there are bad things, all of which may be hindrances that weigh you down from running the race. He's not talking about just sins here. He's talking about anything that hinders. That might mean some friends. That might mean friends that you hang out with who want to keep you from coming to church on Sunday. They're not a bad thing, but that hinders you from running the race. If it is, then he says, let's throw off everything that hinders in order that we might run the race with perseverance. Saying, not just, uh, not just one Sunday, but for the long haul. What are the things that are keeping you from running the race for the long haul? Maybe it's, hey, a, a good thing, like a video game. But when you spend so much time playing until 5 o'clock in the morning on Saturday night, Sunday morning, that it keeps you from being able to stay awake on Sunday to worship the Lord God, that good thing has become something that hinders you. Maybe it's a movie, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's fa- whatever it might be. Maybe it's a trip that you go on, that you go on this trip and you know if you go on that trip, you're not going to spend time with God for eight days. Hey, if that's going to hinder you from running the race, throw off everything, whatever it takes in order to be able to run the race with perseverance. That's what he's saying. And so you push back. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, DL? you kidding me? You're trying to tell me? What's wrong? with going on a vacation? What's wrong with spending time with friends? I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it necessarily, but fundamentally what's wrong is the question that we're asking. Okay. Listen, if we want to live our lives full on for Jesus Christ, and the question isn't what's wrong with these things, the question we need to ask is how does this help me to love Jesus more? Okay, do you understand there's a fundamental difference between how far can I go and still be okay versus how much can I do in order to honor Christ? How can these things benefit me? How are these things helping me? How are these things helping me to become a better Christian, a more fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ? How do these things help me in order to run the race marked out for me? That's the question we need to be asking. And so he says in light of that, whatever it is that hinders you, let's throw these things off. Then he says there's something else, so he says let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
for every one of us, there's a sin that easily entangles us, something that trips us up time and time again. You want to live for God now. I had my first baby. Now I'm going to live for the Lord God. I'm going to live for Jesus. And as soon as you start running, there's something that trips you up. You come back from synod retreat. Man, I've decided I'm going to make these commitments. I'm going to follow the Lord God. As soon as you get back, there's something that hinders you, that trips you up. Maybe it's your, your fear of missing out. And so you just want to be where everybody else is. Because your identity is so wrapped up in your peer group, in your social group, that you can't imagine them doing something without you. And so for the past few days, you haven't been able to spend time with God because that has entangled you again. You're people-pleasing. The seeking of popularity. For other people, it's money. For, for a lot of people, it's lust. You cannot control your, your, your fleshly desires, and it plays out in broken relationships. It plays out in the things that you do in your secret life. For every one of us, there's a sin that so easily entangles us. And you know what it is in your heart of hearts. And if you know that, then maybe the first thing you need to do this week is you need to talk to people in your cloud and tell them and confess to them, this is my sin, this is my struggle. And if I'm going to live for Christ, I need to let go of these things. The love of my flesh, the love of things of this world, the inability to tell the truth. So I'm always living a life in secret. I cannot tell other people the real me, show other people the real me. And that causes me to get into lots of trouble to be unable to overcome and live a life of victory. There's a sin in every single one of us that so easily entangles us, and literally it says it clings so closely to us. You ever have someone, you look at someone, and you're like, man, for as long as I've known them, they've been so rude to other people. For as long as I've known them, they've been so proud. For as long as I've known them, every time someone walks in the room, right, they look at them up and down to see if they're better than them. And if they're better than them, then they get jealous. If they're worse than them, then they look down on them. If they're equal to them, if they can get something from them, they talk to them, they engage in them because they think there's something to be gained from it. And you think, don't they see? Don't they realize? Like everyone else can see that. Why can't they recognize that? Because it, it, it is so clinging so closely to us that we don't even see it sometimes. That's why we need to run this race with other people. People who will just be completely honest with us, and to say, hey, dude, uh, you're not ready to date someone right now. You know what? These habits in your life are going to cause you to lose your marriage. You know what? Uh, you're going down a path that if you don't check yourself, <laughs> it's going to lead to a road marked with destruction. Right? You need people in your life. Proverbs says, a friend I'm sorry, an enemy multiplies kisses, but wounds from a friend can be trusted. If all of your friends are just saying nice things to you and kissing you, they make you feel good, but they never call you out on your sins, right? that's not a friend. A friend is willing to wound, but you can trust their wounds because you know that they have your best interest in mind. Because we have a cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. And then the last thing, last thing it says, uh, fix your gaze on Jesus. Fix your gaze on Jesus. 
Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. In any athletic endeavor, where you fix your eyes is the difference between winning and losing. Did you know that? That's why you hear baseball players, right? Always keep your eye on the ball, right? Always keep your eye on the ball. If you're batting from the time the pitcher, you, you're always watching the pitcher's hand, right? Always watching the ball so that when it comes, you can see it. And until the time you swing through, you keep your eyes on the ball. If you're playing football, if you're about to tackle somebody, because they can make all kinds of moves, they always say, look at your opponent's hips. Look at the runner's hips, because the hips don't lie. <laughs> so you watch their hips at all times. When you're playing basketball, when you're shooting a basket, you always keep your eyes focused on the front of the rim, and you shoot the ball right over the lip of the rim. Where you focus is a difference between winning and losing. You're walking on a tightrope. You never look down. You always look ahead. I looked this up, 15 feet ahead of you, 15 feet ahead of you. You're always looking because where you fix your gaze is a difference between winning and losing. So as you run this race, Christian, where are you looking? Where is your gaze fixed? Is it fixed upon your community, that where they go, you go? Is it fixed upon the person next to you, that if they worship, you worship? Is it fixed upon, hopefully it's not fixed upon your pastor because he will fail you and he will fail you often. It says, here's where you need to fix your gaze. Right? Fix your eyes on Jesus. The only one who will never fail. The only one who will never fail you. We lock our gaze upon Jesus. Literally when it says fix your eyes upon Jesus, it means turn away to Jesus. Whatever you turn to, whatever you're looking to, you're looking to your past, you're looking to your problems, you're looking to your people, whatever it is, is don't, don't look at those things. Fix your, turn away from those things. Fix your gaze upon Jesus. Right? Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his beauty and grace. Christ our motivation. He's our reason. He's why we run. He's why we forsake all others. He's why we don't look at these other things because of Jesus. Pastor Daniel said yesterday we, we had a wedding. Two days ago we celebrated a wedding of Matthew and Ellen Fong. I love weddings. Again, weddings, just like if you've never been to a race, right, you should always try to be in a wedding. <laughs> Hopefully yours one day. But so illustrative. So many different reasons. Part of the thing that I love, like there are many moments of weddings that I love, but I love when uh, the bride enters into the room and the groom fixes his gaze upon her and her upon him. And within that place, she becomes for him and he becomes for her the motivation. The motivation to leave all others behind. And when they give their vows, they say, I pledge my life to you forsaking all others in order that I might be with you forever. This is what Jesus is saying. Because we see the beauty of Jesus when we lock eyes with him. Cause us to say, forsaking all others, I will follow Jesus. He's our motivation. He's the reason why we keep on running. Not because of anybody else around us. The cloud of faith is great. But all of them are saying, don't look at us. 
Look at Jesus. Look to him. He's your reason. He's your everything. He's your motivation. But he's not just our motivation. He says he is the author and perfecter of our faith. That mean, here's what that means. Before you ever had any faith, he's the one who jump-started that faith. He gave you the power to have faith. And when you feel like you can't go on anymore, he's the perfecter of your faith. He's the one that's going to guarantee that you're going to get to the end of it all. What is Jesus? Not only our motivation, but he's the power that we have to live life. Apart from Jesus and apart from the gospel, we will never make it to the end. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at your inability. Oh, I've messed up. I've fallen again. Don't look there. Look to Jesus. He's going to get you through. He's going to get you to the end. He's going to allow you to finish. He's the one who's going to give you everything that you need in order to get there. Jesus is our reason and the one who awaits us at the finish line. In order to run this race, in order to run this race, we've got to run. And in order to run, we've got to remember these things. There was a race that I ran in a few years ago where I saw a group of people who did not follow these instructions. And yet, in some weird way, they were the winners. It was a corporate 5K in downtown Orlando. A group of us were there, and we were running. And as I was huffing and puffing my way along, alongside of a couple other harvesters, we were passed by a group of other huffing and puffing people, right, big strapping men, firefighters, dressed in full firefighting equipment. Not only did they have their full uniforms on, but they were carrying 70 pounds of equipment. So I looked around, I said, there's nobody else who looks like them. Everybody else, if we brought that equipment to the race, had put all of that down. Cell phones, keys, wallets were all put in a safe place, running with as little as we could. But these guys were not. What are you guys doing? Why are you running like that? They said the reason why Well, we could have run just like you guys, but nobody would have known. But we put on all of this weight because we're running for the sake of our fallen firefighters. Because of other men and other women who gave their lives in the fight. The reason they carried that weight was they carried that weight for another. In order that not only would they finish, but that they could be a voice and a champion for those who could not finish that particular race. If there ever was one who followed these instructions of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 to perfection, it was Jesus. He knew very clearly the reason why he was running, and his eyes were set on that prize. He was the only one who was hindered by nothing, in fact, so laser-focused on his mission that anything that hindered, even if it was a crowd of people who needed him, he withdrew to the place he needed to go. There was no sin that easily entangled Jesus. There was no sin that clung so closely to him because everything about his life was devoted and dedicated to the cause of his father. And yet, when it says here 
Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, it says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So Jesus was the sleekest runner, the lightest runner, who had no encumbrances on him, the dominant image when we think of Jesus is of a heavy wooden cross that he did not deserve to bear. So why? Jesus Christ took upon your hindrances and mine, upon himself, and he put it upon his back. He put the sin that so easily entangles you and the sin that so easily entangles me, the sin that clings so closely to you and that clings so closely to me, and he put it upon himself. And he said, put it all on my shoulders. And Jesus ran this race with a cross that he did not need to carry. But he did for the sake of you and me. So that one day, we too could finish the race. The sorrow that surrounded him was mine. Yet not my will, but yours be done, he cried. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy of knowing that at the end of the race, I'll be in the embrace of my father. At the end of the race, I'll be gathered with all of my brothers and sisters for whom I gave my life. It's the reason why we run too. For the joy that is one day set before us, where we will come to the embrace of our father. We will see our savior and with Others who are ransomed by God and the blood of his son will see him in glory. And there we will join that universal chorus and say forever and ever and ever for 10,000 years and forevermore, we'll say that it was worth it. Therefore, remember that you don't run this race alone. Throw off everything that doesn't help. And may we fix our eyes on Jesus and him alone. Let's pray. We run this race of faith. There are things in your life that hinder you from running with perseverance. Maybe with those things, you can run for a little bit, but you cannot run with perseverance, not for the long haul. And the call of God is to let go of these things. Let go of anything that doesn't help you. What is the sin that so easily entangles you? Maybe you know right away what that is. Maybe you need someone to point that out to you, someone who knows you and knows you well. But that which you do know, let's surrender before the Lord God and let's make a commitment. Father, I want to find help so that I'm not ensnared by the things that would keep me from running this race with perseverance. Let's lift our eyes upwards. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. He's our power. He's our reason. <coughs> He's our motivation and He's our means. Follow Jesus today. Let's spend a few moments right now in prayer, responding to the word of God. <clears throat> Let's ask the Lord God for his grace in us. That we might follow him and run this race marked out for us with perseverance. Let's pray for a couple of moments.
Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your unending and undying love for us. We thank you that you loved us so much and in such a way that you gave your one and only son that he would take upon himself all of the encumbrances and all of the weight and all of the hindrance and all of the sin of every human who's ever lived and he took it upon himself. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Thank you so much. Jesus, thank you for being our older brother who ran a race with our weight that you didn't need to, but in love, compelled to do so in order that we one day might finish the race. Thank you that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. We pray that you would help us to love you, to live for you, to honor you. May we remember that we're not alone. May we be encouraged by others, but may we also encourage others to look to Jesus and to see that he's worth it. May we throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And may we collectively as well as personally, individually, fix our eyes on Jesus. Thank you so much for loving us. May we continue to worship you as we go through this time. In Jesus' name we pray.